genre. podcast where we review and discuss every episode of Doctor Who, one doctor at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And I'm Nick Jimenez. And today we'll be discussing The Girl in the Fireplace, which is the 10th Doctor Fifth story. And uh, an all-time classic, I would say. Mm. Um, it's, definitely, uh, it's definitely a top three for me, um, this story. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah, 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 definitely. Oh. Um, this is this is kind of like everything I want in a Doctor Who story is in this. Um, it's, I mean, this is the story where because like, you know, when I watched uh, the first season of the show, I really liked, uh, you know, the the Doctor Dances two parter, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't think I liked it so much that I was like, who wrote this. Mm. Uh, it wasn't until this story that I was like, I need to know who wrote that episode. And then assuming, I think, to a certain extent, I assumed it was Russell T. Davies. And when I found out it was someone called Stephen Moffat, I was like, did they work on the show last season? And then I found out it was that episode. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, and then I think it was right after this, I hunted down Coupling and watched that. Um, and then sort of became like a big Stephen Moffat fan for – a long time until you know i sort of fell out of love with him in season six of dr sure, Hill. sure. Mm-hmm. um like your dad yeah like our dads along with everyone else um <laughs> uh, but uh the girl in the fireplace Go set a watchman the girl in the fireplace um this story basically came about because russell t davies uh who was responsible for casanova the three-part serial that david Tennant came from Mm-hmm. Um, before he was cast as the 10th Doctor. That's where he came from, guys. Yeah, that's where he came from. Um, that's why he was cast as doctor as sure. the Doctor. Because uh, he'd work so with... Someone else where David Tennant's come from. Yep. You can say. Yeah. While doing his research for Casanova, uh, Davies sort of became enraptured with this historical figure called Madame de Pompadour and uh, was really interested in her whole deal um, everything that she, everything that she did. And so she wanted, he wanted an episode about, uh, Madame de Pompadour in season two. And he also mm. wanted it to involve, uh, the Turk, which was a, uh, clockwork, va- uh, clockwork man invented by Wolfgang von Kempelen of Vienna. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. and so he, he uh he he was like I really want these things and he was like uh he he asked Stephen Moffat he was like hey so I want a story about Madame de Pompadour and a clockwork robot is that something you'd be interested in writing and he was like yeah sure so he took it and uh he turned in a story and uh, like basically he turned he turned in Girl in the Fireplace and 
Ma, uh, Rusty Davies was just like blown away because he was like, <laughs> this is so much more than what I asked for. Like he thought he was going to get a, a pseudo historical episode of just sure. like an adventure of like, you know, with clockwork, yeah. clockwork monsters and the Madame de Pompadour in, yeah. in prepare ye for a romp. Yeah. In, in 18th century France, like that's mm-hmm. all he kind of thought it was going to be. And then he ended up getting the girl in the fireplace, um, which prior to being called the girl in the fireplace was uh, called every tick of my heart. Uh, mm, boy. Eh, not so good. Yeah. Renette uh, R- yeah. and the lonely angel. What? No, these are all like the same kind of bad too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, loose connection. See, that sounds like a, that's a different kind of bad. Yeah. That's like a nineties, like rom-com bad. Yep. Yeah. And then eventually settling on the girl in the fireplace. Uh, Which is lovely and like a fairy tale and mm-hmm. fits. Well, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of what Stephen Moffat would become known for as showrunner. Yes. Uh, in this story. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the not the least of which is uh, Madame de Pompadour, the original girl who waited. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. Also, you know, like when, when when they're describing, you know, all of the different, you know, what, what a renaissance woman, I guess, Madame de Pompadour was. You know, she was a courtesan. She was an actor. She was a this, that. It kind of felt like a kind of the, like a proto precursor to River Song in a way. Yeah, a little bit. Sure, sure. It definitely shows you the kind of women that Moffat was interested in writing, um, mm-hmm. which became sort of a, a, a trope that was like was like you know celebrated hey, in the beginning, <laughs> and then as we figured out that like those were literally the only kinds of women that he wrote, we all started going. <laughs> ah. <laughs> well, hold on, buddy. Yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> Did you know that women are humans? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so a couple of Becoming things. Becoming all, all kinds. A couple of things that didn't make it into the final version of Girl in the Fireplace. Uh, a couple of elements w- that will sound very familiar. Uh, the first of which is that the doctor and when the doctor goes through the fireplace, um, it's randomized time. So – while Renette is knowns the doctor in order, the doctor is meeting Renette out of order. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was mm-hmm. that was the first thing that they cut because they were like, "Well, that's just too confusing for a single episode." So they made it in order, um, which is uh, obviously something that he returned to with the aforementioned uh, River Song, mm-hmm. and then also the mind meld that the doctor does with Renette is actually what initially attracts the clockwork robots to Renette um, because they're like, oh, her brain is special because oh. it was melded with the doctor. Oh. And then and then rather than that, they 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 cut that out because it was just – it took too much explanation. So instead, they just didn't explain it and then and, and added the gag at the end of the episode that the ship was called the Madame de Pompadour mm. um, to just sort of explain it away like, aha, robots are dumb. Um, <laughs> because they are, uh, which is kind of the moral of this story is that robots are stupid. You stupid robots. You stupid clockwork robots. Um, so that's about it. Uh, that, that's about it. The last thing that I wanted to – the only uh, – yeah, the final thing that I wanted to give credit to is like I have always loved the line, 
that everybody has nightmares, even monsters. What do monsters have nightmares about me? Mm. I love that line. And I was like, that is one of the best lines that Moffat ever wrote. And turns out Moffat didn't write that line. Uh, it's actually cribbed from a Paul Cornell novel, Love and War. So nice. Paul Cornell actually wrote that line, uh, not Moffat. So that's uh, – Give it up. Yeah, give it up for Paul Cornell. Also a guy who needs to come back and write more Doctor Who. True. True. Very true. Um, that's it. That's all. That's all there is to it. I mean, it's, I love, I love this story. I think it's a masterpiece. I really do. Um, as far as uh, Dr. Who's concerned, again, my favorite is, is still, and probably always going to be silence in the library. Um, but man, the story's good. This is real good. Uh, much better. I, you know, I blink tends to be the one that everyone sort of touts as like the greatest doctor who story ever, but like, no. <laughs> it's not, it's fine. And it's, it's clever and it's a fun watch, but it's not, mm-hmm. it's, it's just a better version of love and monsters essentially. Um, because the doctor's barely in it, you know, right. uh, it's, it's the best thing to show people who don't know anything about Doctor That's Who. That's true. Because it, it, is, it is such a great piece, self-contained piece of original sci-fi. That's true. And, and I, I think that has a lot of crossover well, value. I, I, we'll talk about this whenever we get to Blink, but I actually like fundamentally disagree with showing people Blink for the first, like, their introduction is for Doctor Who because the Doctor isn't yeah. in it. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. No, I, Blink, is, Blink is good, but it's overrated. It's very accessible. It's accessible yeah Yeah. it's accessible like you could show that to anyone who's never seen doctor who it's not a good it's not a good example of doctor who but you can show it to anyone so so someone could watch one episode of blink and think like i love this and then maybe watch a couple more and be like wait i don't know if i'm feeling right i mean if you go from blink to rose you're like wait a minute (laughs) this is it this isn't this (laughs) that garbage can just ate that guy <laughs> um, anyway, so many, so much farting. The eleventh hour is the episode I would show people. Yeah. Either that or yeah. Vincent Hell and the yeah. Doctor. I I just rewatched Vincent and the Doctor for another podcast, and like I would watch Eleventh Doctor. Yeah, sorry. I would I would show that or Eleventh Hour to people who had never seen Doctor Who instead of Blink. Like yeah. Blink, Blink comes later. Blink is special. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Blink is special. Eleventh Hour is such a great like Doctor Who one hundred and one. Yeah. Because it feels like a little summer blockbuster. It's so like smart and fast. And you know what? I think this one works that way too in the same way. I think Mm. you can show this as a really good stepping on point because Mickey is new to all of this in this story. So it works for that, I think. Yeah. Um, That's true. There's a a lot of explaining of what they do. And there's so many classic moments in this story. Mm. I mean, uh, getting right into it. The line that the line that opens this were like, do you smell that? And Mickey's like, Sunday roast, definitely. I'm like, oh no, that's human body parts cooking in the spaceship. <laughs> Calm <laughs> down, Hannibal Lecter. Oh, yeah. it smells delicious, Doctor. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, because they never really come back to it. No, they like, do. Sunday. They oh, do. they do. Okay. Yes. Okay. Because he was I, just I, like, because yeah, the doctor later on, the doctor's like, "What did you guys say that the 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 um the spaceship smelled like?" And Rose is just like, "Someone cooking," and like her face is just like horrified. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, 
Yeah, that that Sunday roast line is good. There's a lot of just really good setup and payoff in this story that mm. I just I just love. Um, and I love the flash forward at the beginning being a flashback because it's like it doesn't feel like a flash forward because everything's out of time. So it's it's showing you like the end of the Madame de Pompadour story, but then it's like, you know, 30, 30 million years later or whatever it says at the beginning, um, which is ah, just, it's really good. I like that. And I, and you know what? Like overall, I, I love, I love Moffat's doctors um, and the way that he writes for them, especially early on in, in the case of the 11th doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think, I don't think any doctor got his sensibility as much as Tennant. Like Tennant and Moffat, when they teamed up in like their, you know, three stories that they worked together on were just so perfect, I mm-hmm. think. There's so much of this. Like it always seemed like Tennant just knew exactly when to throw throw away certain jokes to make them work even better. Um yeah, yeah, it really is that special relationship that an actor can have with with a writer, mm-hmm. or it just he can he has the ability to make certain words just really sing, and he gets the humor of it. But then he also gets he knows when to play it straight or sad, mm-hmm. or right, right, saucy. Well, because like there's that line where uh, where Mickey's like, "What's a horse doing on a spaceship?" and Tennant's just like. What what is 18th century France doing on a spaceship? Mickey, have some perspective. <laughs> Which is yeah, and he and he and he just he knows that right level where it's like mm-hmm. just but like but like just straight enough. Just yeah. at the end of it, as he's saying it, he's already being distracted by something else. Mm-hmm. So like his voice is sort of trailing off toward the end of yeah, it. Yeah, you know? totally. Um, and that and that's I think one of the gifts of David Tennant as an actor, and why this is such a perfect role for him is you can see him think. Yes, yeah. he re- he really lets you watch him think. I think that's true in Broadchurch. I think that's true in a lot of his stuff. And with a character like the Doctor, where thinking is his his superpower. Mm-hmm. It's 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 I, I remember being so energized watching him be the doctor mm-hmm. every week. Like he knows exactly when to go big and heroic in a Moffat script and when to be sort of self-deprecating in his performance. Um whereas like I don't think Matt Smith always knew that balance. Yeah, I have a lot of opinions about 10 and 11 that I have have really changed while watching these two episodes. Mm. Where it's really interesting because, like, you know, I I give – and I don't, I don't want to talk too much about Eleven. But, you know, he 10 is really so so swashbuckling in this episode mm-hmm. and so confident to the point of arrogance. Mm-hmm. And and it, it's interesting to see Eleven because, you know, I, 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 I put so much on that in Eleven. I think of Eleven as being this swaggy, like, I'm the coolest guy in the room. And I think it does get there around, like, season seven – uh, maybe even a little earlier, but maybe it's just the tenant wears it better. But like it, he, he is, he is, he's kind of almost <laughs> like he's kind of obnoxious, almost a little bit in this one sometimes. Yeah, you know, we're like, you know, you kind of, you kind of feel for Madame de Pompadour's spurned boyfriends for being like, who's this <laughs> coming in, coming in through a window on a horse? Yeah. Well, I, like, I, I love time. I love that because I mean the thing about about Tenet, right? And and this is the difference. Whereas like it seems like Eleven, whenever he would get sort of pompous, 
he would Mm -hmm. stay that way and just just smugly be like, yeah, no, I do deserve to be this pompous. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas 10 will do something like I'm going to put you in your place where, you know, he he says, like, uh, you know, I'm the king king of England or I'm the king of France. and He's like, I'm the Lord of time, like whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And then right after that. He'll go at a he'll, – he'll be back in the ship next to Mickey and Mickey will be like, who does this guy think he is? And he's like, the king of France. <laughs> like <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> he's, he's both like – he just doesn't like people feeling like, like they're uppity. So he'll put – he just puts people in their place all the time, right? And it's not yeah, coming he, from he, necessarily a place of ego. It's just coming from like I, you need to learn some perspective. Uh, perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whereas eleven is fully ego place, it feels that's, like. Like I think about yeah. No, oh, probably. that that that's interesting that you say that because like up until this point in our coverage of ten, I know that we've remarked on like how smug he can be, especially with like Rose, like how clicky mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. So is it yes. like a different kind of <laughs> of um, overconfidence or? I I think so because I think it's there's something there's something about this story in this season because like in the next story that we'll talk about this season i think it's the cybermen two-parter is what Mm -hmm. comes up after this um it's right back into like smug gross doctor with rose stuff that i don't like Mm. um but it's almost yeah i was gonna say this this one just feels a little outside of that for whatever reason like it, it was almost like moffat wasn't willing to play along i guess um and and wrote I th- I him think a little differently. Mm. I think the ep- the every you know this episode is it's funny. I I think about that this the scene where the doctor takes off the, the the android's wig and sees the clockwork mechanisms and 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 workings inside of it, and he is genuinely awed mm-hmm. and like the, you're amazing, you're beautiful, you're, you're gorgeous. But I am going to still break you apart if I have mm-hmm. to, and it disappears after that. And I'm like, that's such a cool way to show the doctor's authority which is like i can admit that you are a creature of beauty and i'm not gonna say you're an ugly hunk of bolts or anything but i have a job to do right yeah yeah and like you know Uh, the thing with the king of france it's like it's like i respect the fact that you're the king of france but also don't get too uppity like don't don't (laughs) throw that on me i'll i'll put you in your place but i do respect that you're the king of france uh and and i like that i like that sort of that sort of uh, combination of like, he just doesn't like people. Uh, the thing I like about him in this story is that he just doesn't like people having too much of an ego. Um, whereas later, it's really just about his ego. It's really like the difference between just a a, a, a professor who's like a little bit re- rebellious and a little bit naughty and like a, a schoolboy that just owns the grounds and is just like having the time of his life. And has no respect for anybody. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah, I really th- – this episode really did, like like Scott, it, it really made a, an impact on me. And it was it was the episode that I think vaulted Doctor Who from like show that I like to thing that I love up there with like Harry Potter and The Simpsons and Buffy. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting watching it now because like those little clockwork alien androids, it's it's lovely and it's beautiful and it's – it, and it it's musical, but then it kind of – I don't know what it's doing. And it is like this little self-contained story and you get this little glimpse of the doctor's pathos and his pain 
but you never you never really dig into it. Mm-hmm. And 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 like Madame, like like uh, unfortunately, uh, quite a few of Moffat's characters. I think Madame the Pompadour is on the surface so great and so entertaining and 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 such a great actress. But like, I don't know. I I, I always remember like showing this episode to a really really good friend of mine. To be like, hey, watch this new thing called Doctor Who. This is freaking amazing. And like she wasn't she, – she was like, yeah, that was really – that was cool. But she had no desire to keep going after that. And so I don't know. I, 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 w- w- watching this episode, I was mindful of that of that memory. Hmm. Well, you yeah. know what she didn't connect to? I don't know. I, I think it's just the, the Moffat syndrome of it all. Like he he's enamored with – these these women who are extraordinary but he struggles to like showcase go deep yeah like showcase how extraordinary they are like they talk about her in like her accomplishments but we don't actually see her do anything oh see but, yeah, it's like, but it's see, like, for me that scene where she's like her her poise in the face of death mm-hmm. when she's just staring down the clockwork man and being like you think i'm scared of you friends. like she's on she's on her knees and yeah. like about to get her you know about to get her head chopped off mm-hmm. and she's like i'm not afraid of you and like that was for me that's that was the thing that sold me on her character was that okay. moment yeah and it's it's a testament to that i'm i'm looking up her name right oh, now oh the actress sophia I, I miles always, awesome yeah Great. sophia miles and i always She's in Transformers 4, and it bummed me out, but I, I'm glad that she's working. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sophia Miles. She and David Tennant dated for a while after this. Oh. Yeah, before she moved to Los Angeles because she got cast in that vampire show on CBS. Mm. Um, they do have a yeah. lot of really good chemistry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great. It's a lot of why, I mean, there's a reason I love this, and I think it, there's so many great moments. I mean, I, I remember – Thinking, you know, I I don't really relate to as a kid. I didn't ever really want to be a lot of the dudes that I saw on TV or movies. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't really, I don't have a lot of memories of like, oh, I want to be that guy. I want to be like that guy. But I do definitely remember being in high school and just thinking David Tennant was like the coolest guy you could ever be. Oh yeah, and <laughs> the Tenth Doctor being like the coolest. And granted, I was a teenage boy, but I think there's worst. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> dudes to be like bigger cool. You know, yeah. I was in my early 20s and I wanted to be David Tennant. Um, I mean, like, David mm-hmm. Tennant is still, like, my doctor with, like, a capital M. So mm-hmm. it, it, I don't know, his, his, his performance and versatility and, like, also he's hot as hell. Like, that doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> when, he, uh, when, he invents the, when he invents the banana daiquiri two centuries mm-hmm. early. <laughs> uh, when he comes in with his, like, tie around his head and those stupid glasses, I'm just like, yep. He had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I love the the banana daiquiri thing too because it it just like I like that Moffat has these things that he just has the doctor talk about or say mm-hmm. like multiple times because it's something that he's like no the doctor truly believes that bananas are good uh, and so every time I write the doctor yeah, yeah, I'm going to have him mention something about how good bananas are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and just little moments like like no, you can't keep the horse. I let you keep Mickey. Just like <laughs> like hearing like favorite songs again. Yeah, and, and just always uh, uh, the weird Camilla joke. Uh, I mean, it's only weird because we don't know what they're talking about. Um, yeah, that's very true. That's deeply <laughs> true. Uh, I also 
Oh, there's also oh, there's always an, there's another part that I'm always like, oh, it's a little awkward. Mm. Uh, before oh, before somebody no, no. on the Facebook oh, please, before yeah. somebody on the Facebook group says uh, explains to us what the Camilla joke is, I know. <laughs> but but also we didn't we weren't like listening to it like it every day. It, like it you doesn't guys. have the cultural renaissance, right? right mm-hmm. To us, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, we know I I understood the joke, but it's not as uh, it it. I think it just seems out of place to us because we're like, who cares about that? Oh, right, British people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Mickey's Mickey's NES Know Your Root shirt makes me deeply nostalgic. <laughs> I'm just like God. Yeah, those used to be everything. <laughs> That's great. What are your What are your overall thoughts? Oh, the of costuming this story, in Cass? this it doesn't this seem like it's one gorgeous, of your favorites. By the way, like I mm-hmm. I I always love when the BBC does historical and especially Doctor Who because they just knock it out of the park every time. It's so pretty, mm. so pretty. Yeah, and I would. I I don't know if I've never ever been to England, or so I've never been to any of like whatever tour or guide doctor who shows that they have but i would love to see more some of those clockwork monsters yes. oh yeah yeah and, and those are really pretty yeah. too yeah they closed the the doctor who experience uh which is a huge bummer um i hope mm-hmm. that they sort of like pack it up and take it on tour because i'd like to like i don't know travel to a, another like an american city at some point maybe hopefully mm-hmm. like have it like set up in a museum exhibit or something. Instead I would love of like freaking yeah. Cardiff or whatever, wherever it was. <laughs> yeah, well, well, and now it's just it just closed entirely. So right, like right. you know, you're not doing anything else with it. Like throw it in a traveling exhibit. That'd be nice. Yeah, maybe if the maybe if the the Chibnall Whitaker era has like a spike in popularity, maybe they'll like tour it. Oh, that would be awesome. Would be so great because yeah, I would love to see one of those clockwork monsters because they are beautiful. Like that's that's the thing. It's not. It doesn't feel disingenuous when the doctor is talking about how beautiful they are. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, looks beautiful. <laughs> Look at all those gears. Ugh. They're so shiny. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and this and, and and I think this episode just made a big impact on what I think Doctor Who should be. Like I think it, I think there's, it's no accident. I, I think this does affect watching this when I did, and it, it, it affecting my love of the show. I, I I do see the doctor like when Madame de Pompadour is like, oh my god, you're when they have that mind meld, and she's like, God, you were such a lonely kid. You're so mm-hmm. like, you had no one. Like oh yeah, like that's who he is to me mm-hmm. still. Is like a a little Time Lord boy that like really never fit in, so he had to steal a, a TARDIS. Like I like that mm-hmm. character, mm-hmm. and that's another thing that Moffat comes back to in Capaldi's era, right? With with listen. Mm-hmm. If the little right. boy in the barn is the doctor. <laughs> right. That's very true. Oh, man. It's real good. It's real good. I mm. love this story so much. It's really, it's up there with, um, you know, one of my favorite episodes of anything, really. Mm. Um, it's just, man, it's good. I could watch this anytime. Yeah, it's definitely on my on my mixtape. Yeah. My uh, my Doctor Who mixtape. Well, and not just on my Doctor Who mixtape. I just mean like on like any show. Like, oh, <laughs> in, in my mind, sorry, in my head, I pictured having a mixtape for every like show. Oh, okay. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, no, I was. I, I'm I'm thinking of like if I made a mixtape of like my favorite episodes of stuff. Like it would be, you know, like this would be up there with like my favorite episodes of Buffy and um, yeah, stuff like that. Like all of those like sort of episodes that stick out of your memory Mm -hmm. you know the constant would be on. yeah oh yeah totally 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 yeah (sighs) 
Man. It's definitely up there. Both love stories. Watching sure. watching this out of context, I was surprised at how like it affected me. Um because I guess I guess it's been a while since we've we were in like Amy Pond land where he kind of like recycled <laughs> this. Um so mm-hmm. having having seen that and seeing it play out and then like revisiting this, like it's, it is deeply affecting and it's like sweepingly romantic in a way that was kind of surprising. Like I didn't remember it being that way. So mm-hmm. yeah, good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Man. It's uh, yeah. And it's uh, anyway, I've lost my thoughts. Everything, everything about, about uh, this sort of OG girl who waited is, it's it's all sort of a mini, like a mini version of uh, of of Amy Pond's arc in mm-hmm. a lot of ways because it's it's a it is a uh, you know it's a it's a woman who is uh, special I guess um, I don't know how you would describe I that's I guess their personalities are slightly different in that um, but maybe that has sure, more to and do this with is, and this is where we get to the hey Moffat maybe dig a little deeper yeah you know, yeah like, maybe that maybe this has it has more to do with um, probably the eras that they're from more than anything else but um, regardless the the arc of the two characters being like oh there's a it's the doctor involved in a a pseudo love triangle and right. <laughs> and he visited her as a child and then she she sees him again and thought she, she he was a invisible friend but then he's not he's a real person mm-hmm. and she kind of falls for him and then uh and then when, and then she dies and writes him a letter to be like everything was okay everything's okay yeah the kind of like the weird like the doctor as imaginary friend slash first crush mm-hmm. right right yeah, and, and I just really like I don't know the the doctor running in and out of Sophia Miles of 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 Renette's life. Sophia Miles really nails like the melancholy of that because every time we see her, significant time has passed and she is getting older and her life is ending, and she really nails like why that's sad. And I think David Tennant nails why that. And that's kind of how real life feels sometimes as you get older. You walk through a door and like months have passed. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I mean, dude, if you're gonna, if you want to bring her along, like you knew that there was a time problem with the fireplace, like just, I don't know, prop it oh, up yeah, and he, stick he, a he, log in there or something. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. He's not, his, his head's not on, on straight, yeah. uh, during a lot of this. Um, anyway. Yeah. Oh, son of a bitch on the, on a week on, uh, on Wikipedia, the clockwork droids were in, in fact a part of the, uh, doctor who experience for a time. Nice. Well, for a time, but the doctor who experience is no more. Dun, dun, dun. Hashtag clock punk. <laughs> clock punk. <laughs> uh, that should be a thing. Um, isn't it? I bet it is. Clock punk? Yeah. I guess it would just it's be like a like subgenre of like, like steampunk, right? Oh, is it? Okay. I, I'm gonna Google I think this. so. Right. Fair enough. I didn't know that there were subgenres of steampunk. I thought steampunk was itself a subgenre. So that's... Yeah. Well, not to say son of a bitch twice in one episode, <laughs> but there is a Wikipedia page just about cyberpunk derivatives. Yeah. Good Lord. We... We have biopunk, we have nanopunk, we have clock punk, we have atom punk, we have elf punk, which I guess is like, you know, like urban fantasy, like I guess. Shadow wow. Like an like an orc with a robot arm. 
Oh nice. boy. Maybe we don't need to label everything. Maybe <laughs> maybe we can just let stories be stories. Um anyway. Right. Let stories be stories. Yeah. So anyway, uh Girl in the Fireplace, uh this one's an all time classic for me. Mm. So I uh yeah, quite I, I quite liked revisiting it. And I'm excited uh to uh to to uh keep it going. I feel like we're almost kind of in the same era, just in a different country next yeah. week. Mm-hmm. True. Very true. Uh yeah, so next next time we're gonna be talking about uh the vampires of Venice. Yeah.